First of all, I have to say it's just a great blessing for me to be here today. There are about three people in this church that have changed my life over the last year and a half, and I'm very grateful for Warren. Such a blessing to me, and uh, even when I come and just on a surprise visit, now they might talk about me after I'm gone, but they really welcome me, and uh, they say, um, come on in and have a seat, and uh, I'm blessed by them, and, and Michael, and then Jennifer, who keeps the whole thing together. So um, I, I have been honored uh, to just get to know them a little better, and I certainly do appreciate this opportunity to come and speak. I don't often get this opportunity when I do an estate planning seminar, so it's a real treat to be able to come and to share the word of the Lord. And uh, I went to school back many, 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 many years ago in the 80s. I went to school to be a full-time minister. And uh, as you understand what minister is really all about, we're all full-time ministers. And so I'm still doing that, but not in a located ministry anywhere. Uh, Not on a regular basis anyway, so this is a great chance for me to come and to share with all of you and uh, really to just say thank you to this church because what a blessing you've been to Lewis Memorial over the years too as well through volunteers and through uh, uh, financial gifts and as you can imagine, uh, this has been a tough year. It's been a hard year, year and a half now we're going on. And uh, things are, at least, we can see the light. Hopefully it's the light at the end of the tunnel. Uh, Things are getting a little better, but it's so up and down still because there are many times that uh, we will open our building to a certain degree and then all at once there's a positive case. And when that happens, that's 10 days of back shut down, and it's very hard, as you can imagine, on our residents. Um, We love them very much, and it's been a very difficult year, but a lot of them have learned new things. They've learned how to FaceTime. Isn't that amazing? I still have issues with that, and uh, FaceTiming, and they've learned uh, how to to Zoom, and so uh, they've had help through our staff and through our nursing nursing folks, but... um, you know, we are just wanting to keep them in touch with family. And uh, it's been difficult. It's been hard. But we thank you for your prayers and for your support. And uh, most of all, uh, we thank you for the love that you have for senior adults. Um, they're some pretty special people, wonderful people. And the wisdom that they provide me is just amazing. I am so thankful that I have the opportunity to go in and to share with some folks that are still very keen and still uh, able to, to talk about their life and their relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ, and I am blessed immensely. So, uh, and I know that some of you who have volunteered feel the same way. Uh, it's, it's a wonderful blessing, and so thank you. I see friends in the audience this morning too as well. Phyllis and Jack Wyatt, I have loved for years and uh, very, very thankful, and Helen Pyle back there. Uh, all of them have volunteered at Lewis, and I don't want, I know there's others here in this room who have as well, but uh, those are three people that have meant the world to me the last 20-some years, hard to believe, and, uh, but 
very grateful again for the opportunity to be able to share the Lord's Word this morning. That's why I came, and so that's what I want to do, and we're going to get to that. Last week, you heard from Romans 12, and we're going to, there's two powerful verses there, uh, strong, strong verses that uh, speak to us as believers, and Warren shared with you last week, and uh, I'm no Warren, so I'm warning you up front, I'm going to try and do my very best this morning, but um, I want to share with you again from that passage in Romans that just... um, speaks to all of us. In the first 11 chapters of this great book, if you've studied the book of Romans, and many of you have, it presents for us the way of salvation. Paul is teaching us and preaching to us about what it takes to come to a right relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. And he's showing us a plan that reconciles God's promises to the people of Israel as well. And so these chapters present for us the doctrine, if you will, really those first 11 chapters, the doctrine of the Christian religion. It's a powerful message. It's a wonderful message. It's a message that blesses each one of us that are here today. Beginning in chapter 12, though, and and I don't know about you, I've always been this way, um, You can give me the books, and you can let me read them, and you can stand up, and you can lecture, but boy, I'm so much better when I can touch it and feel it myself, whatever it is. Years ago, I had the opportunity to um, work in the refrigeration field. Now, I've forgotten everything that I ever knew about that, and it's changed completely over the last 30 years. But I went to school at night, vocational school, and I got to work in the field during the day. It made everything come to life for me. I need that. And so I think in some ways here, not to take, not to take this too far, but I think that Paul unfolds for us in these first 11 chapters the nitty-gritty, the details. And then he begins to unfold for us Life examples, the way we and the way that you and I can really, really, really come to grips with this great teaching that He has given to us. And so, I'm one about practical application. I've always been that way in my life. And so, I think it's something that we could use a little more of today in the church. I'm very grateful for those who have that way of just opening up the scriptures and letting us understand exactly what they mean and what they're teaching, and most of all, how to use that every day in our own walk with the Lord Jesus Christ. And so here in chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, Paul appeals to us, and he challenges us. He appeals to us, and he challenges us. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. And then that verse that Warren concentrated on last week, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve God's, what God's will is, his good his pleasing, and his perfect will. 
There's an appeal and there's a challenge. And you know it's based on God's mercies? It's based on the very mercies of God. And I don't know about you, but I am so thankful for God's mercy. Where would we be without it? Where would we be without it? And so today as we look at these two verses and we think about what Paul has to say to us, I pray that our hearts would be opened and understand the word even more. Would you pray with me? Father, thank you so much for this day. Thank you for this opportunity to be here at Berlin this morning. I thank you for the believers here that love you, that live a life that's dedicated to spreading the word. That's our purpose, to bring others with us, to bring them, bring them into the fold, to bring them to a right relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. And it's not so much what we do, but it's the changing power that comes through the Holy Spirit, that comes through the Lord Jesus Christ, that comes through our Father. And so this morning, Father, may our words be your words. And we pray this in Christ's wonderful name. Amen. This morning, I want to tell you about a great man of God for just a few moments. Now, I don't pretend to lift this gentleman high above anybody else who has ever lived the Christian religion, because I believe if we dedicate ourselves to the Lord Jesus Christ in the way that he did, um, we could do some of the same things he did. But um, I don't know about you. Have you heard of Charles Spurgeon? I want to talk about Charles Spurgeon for just a moment. And for some of you who may be hearing that name for the first time, he was an amazing preacher, and he lived many, many years ago. I say many, many years ago. It's been a few. But the pattern of his life, as far as his preaching and his witness, they were just awesome. I still get, uh, I have, I'm on Instagram. I haven't figured out all the details of Facebook yet, so I kind of stay away from that. But I, I'm on Instagram, and I, I don't spend a whole lot of time on there. But I do have an Instagram account that I follow that's related to Charles Spurgeon. So his words, and the reason I tell you that, the things that he talked about, his writings are still very popular in the Christian world today. He founded and oversaw an orphanage when he was alive, a Christian magazine, a minister's college, but at his best, he was a preacher of the gospel. He loved the gospel. He was born in England. He only lived 57 years. I think 57 is pretty young. By the time he was 21, listen to this, 21 years old, his sermons were appearing in annual volumes. They ran for 63 years, continuing some 26 years after his death. Newspapers all over the country would carry, um, and I guess someone that I could compare him to, Billy Graham maybe a little bit. Billy Graham was a very popular preacher in this country, just as Charles Spurgeon was in, in England. And, uh, you know, many times, I can remember when I was a kid growing up, there was a column, a daily column in the newspaper from Billy Graham. There was something that you could read in the public newspaper from Billy Graham. 
Same thing for Charles Spurgeon. He was the type of, of writer that people just clung to his words. Um, in the first six years alone after his death, six million copies of his books were sold. To this day, he is one of history's most widely read preachers. And at the age of 27, he was preaching to crowds of over 6,000 people. It's quite a few folks. He, many of his works went on to colleges, to like Oxford and Cambridge. His, his works were translated into Russian and Chinese and Arabic. American newspapers were printing his entire sermon. Now get this. His entire sermon, they were printing those in the newspaper weekly. You don't see that much anymore. When Spurgeon's future wife heard, heard him for the first time, or met him for the first time, she was not so impressed. Bring it to the ladies to put us right back where we need to be, right? So she was not so impressed. Susanna Thompson was distracted by the teenager's badly trimmed hair, and his blue polka dot handkerchief that hung out of his pocket. But she could not forget his sermons. Warren, has this ever happened? One night, while he was asleep, he was dreaming. She overheard it. She woke up. She wrote down some of the things that he was saying. And just a few hours later, he delivered that message. How about that? That's pretty cool. Never happened to me. His preaching was so popular that he, on occasion, now this is weird too, he would beg others to miss the service so that visitors could come in. There wasn't enough room. I don't think that happens very much anymore. I don't know about you, but as I, as I and, and I know you didn't have the opportunity to look into his life as I did, but... It was amazing what I found there. The sermon given on the evening of August the 10th, 1879, reports that regular members left their seats to make way for visitors. Three days after his death, and I'm about finished with Charles, three days after his death, 60,000 mourners came to view his body as it lay in state. The service itself had to be given three times, and they hired 865 additional policemen to come in and take care of the crowd that day. 57 years. He gave his all, and he yielded his best, I believe, from what I could see, and from what I studied, and from what others have told me, he yielded his best to God. He gave his best to God. Some of his favorite quotes were, I would like, uh, he would simply say, perhaps, and, and think about this in today's world, perhaps there is no book more neglected in these days than the Bible. I believe there are more moldy Bibles in this world than any other book. That was years ago. We have no book that is so much bought than so speedily laid aside. Wow. And so little used as the Bible. <laughs> How about this one? He said, I believe there is enough dust on some of your Bibles to write damnation with your finger. He didn't mince words. 
As a preacher, he would say, if sinners will be damned, then at least let them go to hell with, uh, over our bodies. Let us do everything we can to prevent that. If they will perish, let them perish with our arms wrapped about their knees, employing them to accept Jesus Christ. He had a burning in his soul for what he did. He laid down his life for the cause of serving the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, I think it's so interesting. He challenges us to think about what we've been called to. A life, a right relationship with Jesus. And so, I wanted to share with you just a few things this morning as we think about this relationship and this life that we have in Jesus Christ. You remember the story of the rich young ruler? All of you probably have heard that before, and it's found in Luke 18. And if you want to turn there with me, I'd love to share that with you this morning. Luke chapter 18, and let's start in verse 18. A certain ruler asked him, good teacher, What must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good? Jesus answered, No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not murder. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony. testimony. Honor your father and your mother. Every one of these, all of these, I have kept since I was a boy, he said. When Jesus heard this, he said to him, You still lack one thing. Sell everything you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come and follow me. Then come and follow me. Wow. Jesus didn't... It's interesting here, and, and uh, someone came to Jesus, he wanted to have eternal life. I think it's interesting that Jesus didn't throw the door open immediately. It's interesting, and what I mean by that, he said, go and sell all you have, then come and follow me. We have almost today come to the point where it's not just about saying, I accept you, Lord, but it's also about a life change, a difference, a difference. Jesus is saying in John 3, and we won't take time to turn to that this morning, to Nicodemus. You remember the story of Nicodemus, the ruler who came to him in the darkness of night? He said, I know you must be from God. How can I inherit eternal life? So here was the rich young ruler. How do I inherit eternal life? Here comes Nicodemus. How do I inherit eternal life? Here was one of the top leaders of the Pharisees. He came to Jesus. He acknowledged Jesus was Lord. He acknowledged he was from God. But Jesus didn't just automatically welcome him in. He let him know that there was a price to be paid. 
He said to Nicodemus, unless you be born again, you can't inherit the kingdom of God. The rich young ruler bowed and he walked away, for his wealth was great. We have no account also that Nicodemus ever gave his life to Christ. But we do know, we have a little glimpse that he was at the burial of Jesus. He was there, so I'm praying that he did. But there's a cost to following Jesus. When someone came to Jesus, he always called them to a faith, to a deeper faith. When you come to Jesus, you must be willing to give Him your life. That's what this scripture is about that we've read this morning out of Romans. A living sacrifice. We can say, yes, I want to follow you, Jesus. And I pray that one day, (laughs) and I believe His grace covers us, His mercy covers us. But... There's more than just coming to Jesus. It's also getting to the point in your life when you realize, I have to be different. I can't remain the way I was. I have to be different. I have to be different. You see, the day is going to come when we cry out, Lord, look what I did for you on Sunday morning. And his answer will be, I never knew you. I hope that never happens. It takes daily living for Christ. We cannot be, we we just have to understand that there's this point when we call ourselves believers that we have to act like it. And I'm speaking to myself. Jesus always preached in severe language when it came to following him. If you don't love me more than you love your own family, if you don't give me top priority, if you don't make me number one, never was easy. Jesus wanted true disciples around him. We all know what he said about being lukewarm. Wow, that scares me at times. In my own life. And quite frankly, I think of folks like Charles Spurgeon, who really came across and showed us, I mean, if you read his life and you study what he did, and there's been others, and I'm just using Charles Spurgeon, there's been others right here in this congregation, that if their life was unfolded before us this morning, we would see folks who were living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. You see, we always have to understand that the kingdom of God is not something to be added to our social calendar. It is to rule our social calendar. Everything we do, everything we say, has to be centered around that confession that we made that Jesus is Lord. He is Lord. I don't know, but uh, when I stand before my God one day, all of us want to hear these great words, don't we? Well done, thou good and faithful servant. 
It's about change. And the change only comes, we can't do it. We do it through the power of the Lord Jesus. The power of the Lord Jesus. Everybody's heard of Alexander the Great, right? You've studied him in school, maybe. Great military general. Amazing guy. If you study his, if you study his life, you find that uh, coward does not describe him. He was an awesome military leader. But the story is told, as I close this morning, the story is told about a young man, a young man who was in his army. During one of Alexander's great conquest, and he had many, like many before, he and his army were engaged in a very serious and important battle. It was deadly, it was scary, and there was a young man there. This young man actually deserted the ranks. He decided to run. He was scared. I might have been the same way. I don't know. I don't know what the situation was like. The fighting was fierce. This particular soldier was filled with the certainty of death. He just knew that he was going to die if he didn't get out of there. So he was going to take off. He was going to run. And he fled the scene of the fighting, exposing himself as a great coward. Which was an unbelievable embarrassment to the Greeks. You didn't run. It didn't matter. You stood there and you faced whatever was going to happen. That man, of course, was tracked down, and he was detained, and he was forced to wait for an awful meeting he would have with his commander. After the battle, the coward was brought into Alexander's tent. Can you imagine what that would be like? He probably was wishing, I wish I'd have just stayed where I was and faced the enemy. I don't want to face Alexander. He was brought into the tent and he was forced to stand before this leader who was never known for being a coward or running. Seconds seemed like hours in that setting and it felt like the weight of a thousand horses were tied around his neck while barely able to lift his own head. Can you imagine? You wouldn't want to look this guy in the eye. He stood trembling before the general, awaiting the sure condemnation that was to come. Alexander broke the piercing silence, and in his confident voice, he spoke with great authority, saying, Soldier, why did you run? Those were the worst words in the world. How do you answer that? Leaving that statement hanging hauntingly in the air. After moments that seemed like a lifetime, the man finally forced out those obvious words. Sir, I left because I was afraid. Oh. Oh. The next words out of Alexander's mouth pierced the man. For in that moment, he would have preferred a death sentence. Just get it over. 
He would rather have had a spear plunged into his own heart. Instead of pronouncing his death, Alexander directly looked into this man's eyes and he said, Soldier, what's your name? He already knew. What's your name? He choked it out as best he could. Alexander. Alexander's my name. Alexander. The soldier bowed his head. Upon hearing this, the mighty leader forcefully demanded, then you will either change your behavior or you will change your name. What's our name? Christian. We are Christians. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for these words that remind us how important it is to give our all to you because we wear your name. We love you, Father. And we pray that we will always, always give our best to the Master. And it's in your great name that we pray. Amen.